Hello, and welcome to the podcast for Valley Church of the Nazarene. I'm Ben Beckner, Associate Pastor. Senior Pastor Chris Yoakum and I are glad that you have tuned in to listen to our services and sermons. We would also love to have you join us in person at 228 Madison in Monta Vista, Colorado for our Sunday morning worship services that begin at 1015. We also have Sunday school classes for all ages that begin at 9 a.m. During the week, we have Wednesday night programming, including an adult Bible study, Valley Naz Youth for students in 7th through 12th grade, and children's quizzing for our elementary age kids. There are also various other activities and Bible studies that you can be involved in. Please visit our website at valleynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information. We have something for everyone for you to encounter God with others looking to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ as well. Again, thank you and welcome to our podcast. Hello and welcome once again to this week's podcast from Valley Church of the Nazarene. During December, our hearts are attuned to the season of Advent, anticipating the birth of Jesus. Week one is focused on hope. Pastor Chris Yoakum's message this week is entitled, The Coming of Emmanuel, from the book of Matthew, chapter one. Thanks once again for joining us. Turn with with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 1, Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 1. We believe in plenary inspiration, which means that all of it is inspired and the sense of inspiration, we believe that it's God-breathed. This is the very Word of God. Therefore, we believe in the infallibility of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture. We do also believe we need to be good students so that we can get at what the Bible is saying, the original meaning. I charge you to hear the Word of the Lord this morning, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, starting with verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile in Babylon. After the exile in Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shiltiel, Shiltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Ebed, Ebed, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, whom is called Christ. 
Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, he was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took him home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Father, as we, as we are here, and as we study your word, I pray that you would attend with us. We pray for your anointing, both on the preaching and the hearing of your word, and we pray that you would bring transformation. Lord, bless this time, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we have come through the, the time of, of Thanksgiving, not only is Thanksgiving a wonderful time to give thanks and to eat too much, I hope that everybody ate too I don't know if everybody ate too much. I know I did. I ate way too much. But one of the really great things about gathering together as family is you, you are reminded of the perhaps dysfunction and craziness of your family. Um, I don't know if anybody else would admit to this, but, uh, you know, my family's not perfect, and my extended family's not perfect. You know, we've all got uh, weird Uncle Al or, or uh, you know, this uh, person over here whom we'd probably want to keep, <laughs> keep away from the, the, the kids or maybe, you know, maybe not tell that story or, or whatever. I think all of us kind of uh, face that kind of a situation as we, as we think about our lives and how we, we came to be if we study our, our particular heritage and our family tree. Um, it doesn't take very long before we start to see there's some, you know, there are some, uh, maybe some um, uh, speed bumps in the road of our, our getting to this point, maybe some, some twists and turns and maybe uh, you know, some of the, the branches weren't, weren't quite uh, uh, what we'd like them to be. And as we, as we look at this first chapter of Matthew, we kind of get that sense. It's kind of an amazing thing because as Matthew begins to tell this genealogy of Jesus, um, he doesn't sweep Grandma Ray, Rahab under the rug. He doesn't neglect to talk about Grandma Tamar or, or Grandpa Judah or what happened with Grandpa David. Matthew highlights these things, and it's an amazing thing that, that he does. And Matthew is, is intent on helping us to understand that as Jesus comes to us, he is fulfilling the prophecy that he is supposed to be of the line of, of Judah and from David's throne and from Abraham. But within this genealogy, we also see this amazing fact that as Jesus comes to us, he doesn't come in a whitewashed way from a human standpoint. 
And I hope that as we look through this this morning, we can, that should give us great hope. Matthew, Matthew writes that in verse 22 that all this took place to fulfill. All this took place to fulfill. And you get this sense that what Matthew is saying is, let me tell you what all has transpired to get us to this point. Matthew chronicles the Lord's sovereign working in human history to fulfill His greatest promise, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus could have, could have come in a much more whitewashed way, but Matthew shows us that, you know what? This one who has come to save us from our sins, He's the great high priest because not only is He perfect and He is, he is God incarnate, but He's all too human just like us. And so this morning, if, if you look at your life or you look at your family heritage and you think, well, boy, there's no way God could work through this mess, I hope this morning you'll get some hope because let me tell you, Jesus' family tree is pretty messed up. <laughs> so let's look at this just a few things. We're not going to labor each point as we go through this, but we're going to look at some of these things. First of all, let's just look at the virgin birth. What a difficult thing. Why in the world did God choose to do God, of course, is bringing this one Jesus who has a family heritage, and yet He is coming to us without sin. But let me tell you, folks, back in that day, that was a huge problem. Mary, this young woman who is pledged to Joseph, becomes pregnant, and that's a huge problem. Joseph, the righteous but apprehensive bridegroom, you know, we read there as Matthew says, he's like, well, okay, I'm going to, you know, we'll divorce, we'll div- I'll divorce her quietly and kind of let this thing go. But God says, no, I'm going to work through this. This is the way that I'm going to do this, Joseph. Just stick with me. But let me tell you, folks, that was a difficult thing, the virgin birth, the way that, that, that Christ came into this world. God worked through that. And let me tell you, it wasn't as if everybody's like, oh, wait a minute, guys. I, you know, I was, you know, God came. He's the one who impregnated me. And everybody's like, oh, okay, well, that explains it. No. No, they had to live their life with the secrets and the people saying, you know, yeah, right, God impregnated Mary. Folks, it was a messy deal. It was a messy deal, and yet God worked through it. And then we see in here, we see that Matthew tells us in verse 23, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this is to fulfill the prophecy. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. What we have in Isaiah chapter 7 is we have Ahaz, and if you look in the genealogy, there's Ahaz. We have Ahaz who is son of Jotham, son of Uzziah. He's the king of Judah. And let me tell you, he's going through a difficult time, and, and he's, he's, he's not a righteous king. He is one who is following a wicked way. He's not following the Lord. And the Lord brings this test for him. God brings the, the um, people all around him who are coming against him. And instead of trusting the Lord, Ahaz wants to trust Assyria, 
to come and help. And basically, God says, you know what? Don't trust in Assyria. I'm going to use Assyria to come against you. And Assyria does come against them. And in the midst of that turbulent, difficult time where Ahaz had to make a decision whether to trust God or not, that's where we get this prophecy we see over in chapter 7 of Isaiah. We see it over in verse 14. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So we first see this, the sign of Emmanuel. We have Ahaz, the wicked ruler of Judah, Assyria, the Lord's instrument, and we have the sign of Emmanuel, which heralded both the coming destruction by the Assyrians and also the enduring plan of God to bring the Messiah. Essentially, what God was telling Ahaz is, Ahaz, you've got to trust me. I am, willing to, I am able to work through these situations. I am going to accomplish my will. You need to look to me. Ultimately, he doesn't. But this is someone who is in the genealogy of, of Jesus. And he gives this sign of Emmanuel. Basically, God's saying, listen, Ahaz, trust me because I'm here. I will work through this situation. Ultimately, he doesn't. So ultimately, we end up with the exile, and Matthew tells us about the exile. Turn with me to Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 52. So the exile is a very difficult time where the, the Babylonians come and they take and they destroy Israel, they destroy the temple, destroy Jerusalem. And basically Judah is taken captive. We're gonna, we're gonna see that. And so we have the first part where the, the Babylonians come and they destroy the temple. And you can read that at some point. We won't read all of that. I'm gonna start with verse 24. Of, of Jeremiah chapter 52. The commander of the guard took his prisoners, Sariah the chief priest, Zephaniah the priest next in rank, and the three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, he took the officers, officers in charge of the fighting men and seven royal advisors. He also took the secretary who was, in chief, who was chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land and 60 of his men who were found in the city. Nebuzaradan, the commander, took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. There at Riblah in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. So Judah went into ex- to captivity away from her land. This is the number of the people Nebuchadnezzar carried into exile. In the seventh year, 3,023 Jews. In Nebuchadnezzar's 18th year, 832 people from Jerusalem. In his 23rd year, 745 Jews taken into exile by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the Imperial Guard, there were 4,600 people in all. In the 37 years of the exile of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the year evil Merodach became king of Babylon, he released Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and freed him from prison in the 25th day of the 12th month. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So, so Jehoiakim put aside his prison clothes, and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king of Babylon gave Jehoiakim a regular allowance as long as he lived to the day of his death. Now, think about this, folks. The exile is God's wrath against Judah, who has been unfaithful to God. 
We had Ahaz, but then we had some good leaders, but eventually the wickedness God had predicted, listen, if you guys don't turn, I'm going to bring destruction, and this comes. And then Judah is taken into exile, and you've got Jehoiakim, who is Jeconiah. If you look at the genealogy, it's Jeconiah, um, and is, is Jehoiakim. And you have Jehoiakim, who basically you have almost, you have so much of Judah that is wiped out. And Jehoiakim should have been killed, and yet God had mercy on him. And what we have is we have Jehoiakim, the father of Zerubbabel, which means offspring of Babylon. And so, in the midst of the exile, God is, is sovereignly working to bring about His plan. We have the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, Judah, including Jehoiakim, going into exile, but the birth of Zerubbabel, offspring of Babylon, is God's way of saying, listen, I am with you. Your sin has caused you to go to, to has caused destruction and caused you to go into exile, but I am with you. I'm going to send you this sign. And Zerubbabel becomes a sign that God is still working even in the midst of the exile. Let's go back even further, 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And again, if you think about the genealogy that Matthew gives, it's amazing that he highlights these things to show God's sovereign working through all of these circumstances. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Now you, will rem- you will remember the story in chapter 11. You have David who has plenty of wives. He decides not to go out with the army, stays home. He's up on the roof. He sees Bathsheba, lusts after her, brings, him, brings her into his home and his bed, commits adultery, in order to cover up the sin as Uriah murdered? You think you have a difficult family history? Folks, let me tell you, Matthew shows us God is working through this. So, you've got, you've got David, you've got Uriah, the murdered husband, Bathsheba, the stolen wife. Let's read chapter 12, starting with verse 1 of 2 Samuel. The Lord sent Nathan to David when he came to him. He said, there were two men. Let's get through this. We know that story. Nathan gives him this story and, and, uh, about the man who, who steals another man's uh, one lamb. Flip down to, to verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I will have, would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. But your, before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because of, by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife 
had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went to his house and, sp and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can, how can we tell him the child is dead? How he may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked? Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotion, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at the request, they served him food and ate. He ate. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fast and wept, but now the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fast and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live, but now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son. They named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. What an amazing story. So you've got this sin, this adultery, this murder. And then through the heritage, the heritage that, that, that Jesus comes through is not any of, other, any of David's other children, but it's through Solomon, who is renamed Jedidiah because the Lord loved him. And we find Solomon in the lineage of Jesus Christ, God working through that sin and failure of David. Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2. Israel has just entered the, the promised land, and you've got Joshua who is leading the charge, and they are right at the, the edge of, of going, going against Jericho. The spies go in, they go into the house of a prostitute, yes, a prostitute named Rahab. And you have this prostitute who's willing to trust, who has heard about the God of Israel and puts by faith, says, you know what, I will, I will hide you, I will keep your secret, I will not tell them that you are here, and he, she hid the spies. And so she was spared. She was spared. Rahab the prostitute who had faith and hid the spies, who became the mother of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer who married the Moabite woman, Ruth. What an amazing thing that, that, that God would choose to work through this person, that God would bring this woman who is a prostitute in and become part of the heritage to bring about Jesus Christ. You can read that in Ruth, the great, wonderful story of Boaz who is willing to marry this Moabite woman, Ruth, who becomes also in the heritage of Jesus Christ. Genesis chapter 38 Genesis chapter 38. In Genesis chapter 38, we get to uh, read this, this story of Judah and, and Tamar. And again, why, you know, this is, this is another one, you know, talk about Weird Uncle Al, if you don't want to talk about this, you know, this is an incident that, that nobody would want to have in your, your family story. This is something that would be a, a family secret, and yet Matthew goes out of his way 
to mention Grandma Tamar. <laughs> Look at this. But you have Judah. You have basically the situation where Judah finds a wife for his, one of his sons. The son dies. Tamar is given to one of his other sons, but still no offspring. He has promised to his youngest son, says, just wait until my younger son grows up, and then I will, uh, I will give you to him so he can produce offspring. That doesn't happen, so Tamar takes the situation into her own hands. Let's start in verse, chapter 38, let's start verse 12. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and his friend Hira the Adulamite went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he... He thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. He went over to her by the roadside and said, come, let me sleep with you. And, and what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal with its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adulamite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman that, she did not, that he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road to Enam? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her besides the men who lived there. So there, hadn't been any, there hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let her keep what she said or, he will, or we will become a laughing stock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but she didn't find her. After about three about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Timnah, is guilty of prostit prostitution. Tamar is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she's now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law, I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said, and she added, if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I would not give her my son, Shelah, and he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she, get, as she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand, so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. When he drew back his hand, his brother came out, and he said, so this is how you have broken out, and he was named Perez. Then his brother, came, brother who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out and was given the name Zerah. Folks, let me tell you, who, who would want to include that story? And yet in the midst of even this incest, God says, I'm going to work through this. And this becomes part of the heritage of Jesus Christ. Of course, that reminds us back in Genesis 25 of two other twins, Jacob. You have Isaac, the praying husband, whose wife, Rebecca, is barren. You remember the story? Esau comes first, but Jacob is grabbing hold of Esau's as heel on the way out, and that's what Jacob means, one who grasps the heel. Jacob, who is a deceiver, God promises that Jacob, that Esau is going to serve Jacob, and yet Jacob is a deceiver. He deceives Esau for his birthright. 
and then deceives his father Isaac in order to get the birthright. Folks, this is the one for whom God chose to be in the lineage of Christ. Genesis 21. And we're skipping through this quickly, folks. I challenge you to go back and read their amazing stories. And every one of these, if you go back and look at the lineage, it's an amazing story of God's working. Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as He had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what, what He had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham at his old age. But the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight years old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would, have, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? That's an amazing thing. 22 verses 1 through 19, we know this story. God gives the child of promise to Abraham. Abraham, who's supposed to be the one who, whom God has chosen to, to be the father of this new nation. And yet God comes in chapter 22, sometime later, God, verse 1, Abraham's, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I will tell you. And so we know the story, Abraham and Isaac get up and they go to the mountain. What a difficult time that must have been. Skip with me down to verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself and pleasure of the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. Abraham, you remember the story. I mean, to the very point where he has the knife poised ready, the boy is bound on the altar. God stops him at the last minute. Folks, why? Why, does God, why did God do that? To show that he, is going, he can work through anything. He is going to keep His promise. And finally, Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12, a few pages over. Abraham. This man who was an idol, who was living in a land of idolatry, God chooses Abram out, calls him out in verse 1 of chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your, co your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. But there's a huge problem. Sarah is barren. They're both old. Abram is called to be set apart as a father of many, even though he had no children. Chapter 17, Abraham's name is changed. Chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will be called Abram. Your name is, will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. 
I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many. God takes this man who is old, who has no children, says, this is the one I'm going to choose to be the father of this nation. This is the one I'm going to choose to work through to bring about Emmanuel, God with us. Why, folks? I mean, as we look at this genealogy in Matthew, it's an amazing thing that Matthew chronicles to show how all this happened. He says, all this took place. The Lord's sovereign hand is seen throughout human history. And please hear this. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, hear this. The Lord accomplishes His sovereign will not in spite of human suffering, failure, and sin, but through it. This is the sovereign hand of God. He doesn't come in as somebody who does not know the trials and tribulations that we face. He comes to be the one who conquers through all of these things. No matter what we face in our life, no matter our history, no matter what we are are dealing with, God comes down. He doesn't stay aloof from us. He comes to be with us, God with us. He is the one who is able to bring victory. Do you remember this scripture? Turn with me to the Gospel of John and his account. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. Folks, this is the reality of Emmanuel. This is the coming of Emmanuel. This is the reality and great blessing of God with us is that the light shines in the midst of our darkness. God comes down to the mess of our world and whatever we're dealing with, and He shines in the midst of that, and the darkness does not overcome it or overwhelm it. Jesus does not come to be in an ivory tower looking down upon us. He comes to be with us, the friend of sinners. He is the one whom the darkness cannot put out the light. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Folks, this is the blessing that we celebrate this time of year. Matthew 1, 21, she will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Folks, Jesus comes down into the mess and darkness of our world to conquer through these things. God knew this, that He was coming into a world. God knew what was going to happen. He came to be the victor over these things. And so when we, when we celebrate Emmanuel, when we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, we celebrate God with us, the one who came to tabernacle with us, pitched His tent right in our neighborhood and came and said, let me come, let me be a part of your life. We don't have to hide from, from Jesus Christ. We don't need to hide our stuff from Him. He comes in the midst of it and says, yeah, I know. Let me tell you about my family history. Let me tell you where I come from. I understand. I'm coming to bring victory. Emmanuel, God with us. All of this took place. God worked through all of these things, and God is working in our lives. This Christmas, no matter what you've got going on in your life or in your family's life, no matter what you 
you're going on. Do not hide it from God. Say, Emmanuel, come. God, come be with me. Come walk with me through this. Show me the way. Shine your light in the midst of the darkness. He will do that. This morning, we're going to take communion. Folks, there's no greater picture that we have for us in such a tangible way than communion of God with us. Jesus promised to be with us as we partake of communion. He promised that someday we would partake with Him again. But folks, as we partake of these elements, it is we're partaking of what represents the blood and body of Christ. Folks, let me tell you, the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't whitewashed. It wasn't this clean, pretty thing. It was a very difficult thing, but it gives us great hope because God has, been, has come to bring victory in the midst of darkness, shine the light in the darkness. So, as we partake of this communion, allow, allow this to once again be fresh in your mind that the one who has come, Emmanuel, God with us, He came not to, to be aloof from us, but to become and die for us, to shed His blood, to give us of Himself, to be with us. Whatever darkness you're facing this morning at this time of year, invite God to come. He is the, he is the light that cannot be put out by the darkness. He is the one who can come and be with sinners and not be tainted by them, but bring redemption and bring transformation. He is Emmanuel. God with us. In the church of Nazarene, we, we practice open communion. You do not have to be a member of our church. You do not have to be a member of the Nazarene church to partake with us. We do ask that you are a believer. But as I say often, if you are not a believer this morning, if you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never repented and trusted on Jesus Christ, now is a great time. Don't leave this place without knowing, without receiving the free gift of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But we do ask that everyone would see in these elements, see them for what they are, as representing the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and His sustaining work in our lives. Let's take a brief moment. We're going to pray. We're going to spend a moment in silence. We pray, Lord, that You would come now and bring conviction. Holy Spirit, You promised that You would convict the world. We pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that You would be here in a special way, that You would shine Your light upon us. I pray this morning that we would not harbor sin, but that we would confess that sin, agree with You, receive forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray your blessing on these elements. Be with us in these moments. Do business with us, we pray. Your blessing on this time. Lord, we do this as an act of obedience. We do it also, Lord, with great joy that you have given this to us as a sacrament, Lord, that we can partake together, 
and in anticipation of someday partaking with you, we pray that you would forgive us where we fall short. Ask Ben to come forward. We'll ask that everybody please come down, form two lines down the center aisle, and then return to your seats going this way. On both sides, there, will be a, there is a gluten-free bread that is the darker colored. Please come and receive the elements this morning. While they were still eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are with us. Even now, we have you. The word became word become flesh. We still have your word, Lord. You are the one who sustains us day by day. It is in, in you that we trust. Lord, we know that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you. We pray that you'd help us to be faithful to your word, faithful to your instruction. I pray that you'd help us to be faithful disciples. And we know that you are, to keep, you are able to keep us. We thank you, Lord. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out. For many, for the forgiveness of sins, I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Lord Jesus, your blood, your blood is our only plea. You are our salvation. It is your sacrifice. And it is your righteousness alone that we hope. I pray this morning that we would confirm and reaffirm this covenant that we trust in you alone. We do not trust in our own righteousness. We do not trust in our own sacrifice. By faith, we receive the free gift of salvation. I pray that you would help us to walk in this salvation. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit. Pray that you help us keep us in step with your Holy Spirit. Sanctify us. The Lord, our greatest desire is that we would look like you, Lord Jesus. Transform us daily in the image of Christ, the perfectly obedient one. Someday we will see you face to face, Lord Jesus, and we will be like you. Continue that process in us, we pray. Oh, Lord, I pray that as we celebrate this time of year, I, I pray that you'd help us to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, that you have come down to be with us. In the midst of the darkness and difficulty of our world, you come, you are the one who conquers through all of these things. Bless us, I pray. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Before I dismiss everyone, we have one more, more thing we need to do. I have Ben to, to come up with me. Some of you will already know this, but it's always a very challenging 
challenging time when you have a, a transition in um, pastoral leadership, and uh, of course, it's hardest with senior pastors, but uh, when you have somebody like Ben who's been here for so long and been such an integral part of our church. So this is a, a sad and yet an exciting day. The Lord has called Ben and his family to Ray, Colorado, and he has uh, received a unanimous vote from the board and unanimous vote from the church that they want him to come. And so we are sad because Ben and Jenny and their family have been such an integral part of our, our, our church. I mean, what, what could we say? I mean, as in every aspect, it's been such a joy to serve with him in ministry. And so, it's with a sad heart, and yet I'm so excited for what God is going to do in Ben's life and Jenny's life and their family up in Ray. God has such great plans for them, and so we're excited for them. So, we wanted to let everybody know that. I don't know if you want to say anything, Ben. Anything else to add to that other than sometimes it's really hard to, to follow. When God asks you to go, when God tells you to go from someplace that's been good, that's been um, blessed, um, it's hard to say yes to something else. And this hasn't been an easy uh, process, and this is something that's come entirely from left field. This is not something that I have pursued in any way, um, but in just baby steps, um, committing to, to following God the best we knew how. And so through that process led us to where we're at today. And so we're excited, um, but it's also really hard. And you know, I look around the room and see a lot of faces that have really supported us, encouraged us, and walked with us through some pretty difficult things, and I want to say thank you, and that we love you and have considered it a pure privilege to have served this church, and so thank you for allowing us to do that. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. Thanks to all of you, and they, Ben will be with us through December, and we'll probably be leaving in January. It looks like we'll, we will have Jenny and the family for a while longer, probably until next summer, so that's great. So we'll kind of ease into this thing, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we'll have some time to be able to express our, our love to them, but um, be praying, be praying, because God has a wonderful plan for this. He has a wonderful plan for here. God has great plans. He knows what he's doing. His timing is perfect. But we want to be obedient, so we just uh, just be praying for this whole process that will go well. But uh, thank you all. God bless you. There is, I believe, Snack and Yak, uh, so join us for that. But God bless you. Thank you. You are dismissed.